Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. I want to say a few words about the so-called two-state solution. There was a recent article in Foreign Affairs uh, magazine, very prestigious magazine, the that argued that today Israel and the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza are essentially really living under a one-state reality. And therefore, according to this article, it's time to give up on the two-state solution. Now, this argument is uh, gaining popularity among particularly human rights groups and commentators over the past few, few years. Though the overall theory advocating for one state does go back many decades to the last century, the premise behind it is that Israeli rule has gone on for so long that the two-state solution seems far-fetched. Actually, according to this theory, one state is what actually exists now. Now, there are those who argue, and that's what I want to present to the listeners, the argument is predicated on a basic flaw uh, which I want to discuss. Those advocating one state claim that Israel continues to occupy the Gaza Strip so they can portray it, portray it as controlling millions of Palestinians who are denied rights in the Jewish state. Now, this ignores something very interesting. The fact that Gaza is not run by Israel, it's run by Hamas, and that there is little to no evidence the Palestinians, under either the terrorist groups or the Palestinian Authority, want to be integrated into Israel. That, that is the fact. Uh, most Arabs living in those areas do not want to be integrated into Israel. The the uh, the story is, is there are those trying to force Israel to reinvade Gaza, control Gaza, and extend Israel, Israeli rule back into Palestinian cities, despite decades in which Palestinians govern cities in Gaza and the West Bank themselves. It's unclear why anyone thinks that this would work, considering that Israel can't even fully control parts of Jerusalem when it comes to violence. Israel doesn't even control the Arab sections of Jerusalem. This is a fact. So what what kind of theory would make us believe that Israel could take over Gaza and if it took over Gaza it would control the violence there. It makes no sense as I see it whatsoever. Now back in January of 2021 two years ago more an organization called B'Tselem published a report claiming that a regime of Jewish supremacy exists from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, calling it apartheid. According to this report by B'Tselem, and I'm quoting, more than 14 million people, roughly half of them Jews and the other half Palestinians, live between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea under a single rule. Now, it added in this report that the entire area between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River is organized under a single principle, 
advancing and cementing the supremacy of one group, the Jews, over another, the Palestinians. This is what Bitsalem wrote. It said that even though Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip in 2005, it continues to control nearly every aspect of life in Gaza from outside, unquote. It also noted that Palestinians from Gaza must go through the Egyptian-controlled Rafiah crossing, provided it is open, so the, and provided that the Egyptian authorities let them through, they can undertake the long journey through Egyptian territory. In other words, people living in Gaza, and the southern part of Gaza touches upon the Sinai, which is controlled by Egypt, and therefore the Egyptians can decide which Palestinians they let through. Now, it's my understanding that right now, tons and tons of supplies come from Israel into Gaza, and Israel supplies uh, Gaza with what it needs for people to live there. Now, in February 2022, Amnesty International published its own report about what it calls Israeli apartheid against the Palestinians, and they wrote that the entirety of the West Bank and Gaza Strip remains under Israeli military occupation, with Israel controlling the Palestinian population living there. Although it did note that the Egyptian authorities also maintain tight Egyptian restrictions on the Rafiah crossing between Gaza and Egypt, and Amnesty further asserted that Israel maintains a system of fragmentation and segregation to different legal regimes that ensure the denial of nationality and status to Palestinians, violate their right to family unification and return to their country and their homes, and Israel severely restricts freedom of movement based on legal status. All are intended to control the Palestinian population and aim to preserve a Jewish-Israeli majority in the key areas occupied uh, across Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. Now, in addition, a group called Human Rights Watch published its own report in April 2021, writing that about 6.8 million Jewish Israelis and 6.8 million Palestinians live today between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, an area encompassing Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory, the latter of which made up of the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip. And then the report claims that in regards to Gaza, the Egyptian government often imposes restrictions along its border with Gaza, which exacerbate the impact of Israel's policies on residents of Gaza, but Egypt's obligations differ since it is not the occupying power and can, with some key limitations, decide who is allowed to enter Egyptian territory. Now, this article in the recent Foreign Affairs builds upon these arguments, claiming that a one-state arrangement is not a future possibility. It already exists, no matter what anyone thinks. Between the Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, one state controls the entry and exit of people and goods, oversees security, and has the capacity to impose its decisions, laws, and policies on millions of people without their consent. So this hammers home the claim that Israel has control over a territory that stretches from the river to the sea. Now the term river to the sea has long been a part of Palestinian nationalist propaganda. The American Jewish Committee has noted 
that is the catch-all phrase symbolizing Palestinian control over the entire territory of Israel's borders. Adding that from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That's what they teach the kids in kindergarten in the Palestinian-controlled areas. It's a call to arms for pro-Palestinian activists, a call for the establishment of a state of Palestine from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, erasing the state of Israel and erasing the Jewish people. So the Foreign Affairs article joins many others portraying Israel as continuously controlling Gaza without that even after we withdrew forces from Gaza in 2005, the Israeli government retained control over the territory's entry and exit points. The article slamming Israel for apartheid all noted that Egypt controls access to the Gaza Strip in the south. But the Foreign Affairs article does not mention Egypt at all. It's only that they essentially say that Gaza is a prison for Palestinians controlled by Israel. So they depict Israel as controlling Gaza, as well as downplaying what Hamas has done to the coastal enclave for nearly two decades of rule. According to the article in Foreign Affairs, like parts of the West Bank, Gaza enjoys a degree of autonomy, and since the brief Palestinian Civil War of 2007, the territory has been administered internally by Islamist organization Hamas, which brooks a little dissent. That's putting it mildly. The term brooks a little dissent disregards the reality in the Gaza Strip, where Hamas has stockpiled masses of long-range rockets during multiple wars against Israel and crushes its own people. These are the facts on the ground. There are no two ways about it. The, so what, the, what, the, what is disturbing is the Foreign Affairs magazine, which is a prestigious magazine, downplays the policies of Hamas. The article claims that Israel's system of structural discrimination is more severe than those of even the most illiberal states. So it's unclear how this was measured, considering the large number of illiberal states in the world. By the way, according to Freedom House, a D.C.-based political advocacy, advocacy organization, there are 57 countries in the world defined as not free. And what the Foreign Affairs magazine is saying, that Israel is worse than these 57 countries. And keep in mind, Israel left the area of Gaza, for example, as well as the West Bank, in, in 2005, assuming, mistakenly, that the Palestinians would set up a state. They didn't. The, the Palestinian Authority was essentially violently overthrown in the Gaza Strip by Hamas, which now rules it. A terrorist organization rules the Gaza Strip. These are the real facts of life. So, in, uh, interesting enough, Foreign Affairs, which is a, a prestigious magazine, defines the Arab minority in Israel as Palestinians who have Israeli citizenship and reside in the pre-1967 Israel and have political and civil rights but confront other limits, both legal and extrajudicial, on their rights, responsibilities, and protections. Truth of the matter is that Arabs living in Israel vote like Jews do, and there are Arab uh, parties in Israel's Knesset. So the article in Foreign Affairs, which again, as I said, is a prestigious magazine, it talks about this river to the sea concept, about one state, 
and this is what they're advocating. The uh, there are, by the way, Arabs living in Jerusalem, for example, who reject Israeli citizenship because they consider it an act of disloyalty to Palestinian nationalism. So, and this article concludes by writing that a better U.S. policy would advocate for equality, citizenship, and human rights for all Jews and Palestinians with living within the single state dominated by Israel. And to that end, Washington should begin conditioning military and economic aid to Israel on clear and specific measures to terminate Israel's military rule over the Palestinians. So essentially, the foreign affairs, again, I say as a prestigious magazine, is saying that there are, since there are 6.8 million Jewish Israelis and 6.8 million Palestinians living between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, it should become one free democratic country, which of course means the end of the state of Israel. So this prestigious magazine <clears throat> comes up with a solution that first would mean the end of the state of Israel, and it's also unclear how Israel can provide equality everyone in Gaza, Ramallah, and other areas run by the Palestinians, while it is also told to end its military rule over these same areas. It is a contradiction to claim that Israel controls the region and must bring equality to everyone there, but not through military rule. So how would Israeli civilian rule be extended to Gaza or to Ramallah, which is right above Jerusalem. Now, to the best of my understanding, I think I can safely say that there is no evidence whatsoever that Palestinians or Israeli want to live in one state. So how they would be forced to do so is pretty unclear. Historically, trying to shoehorn different groups into one state has turned out to be not a good idea. If you look, for example, and the uh, and it's something I, I remember in my own lifetime, the former Yugoslavia or elsewhere, it's not been successful. The one state proposals dismiss the actual reality that exists today in Gaza, Ramallah, Jerusalem, and Tel Aviv, and is simply impossible to make one country covering all these places. So, as I said at the beginning, a prestigious magazine like Foreign Affairs this comes up with they consider a solution that makes no sense whatsoever. And not only does it make no sense in terms of citizenship, including if there was no war and if the, if the Palestinian educational system didn't teach children from kindergarten up or even pre-kindergarten that the Jewish state has no right to exist. And the fact that there are close to 7 million Jews and 7 million Arabs living between the Jordan and the uh, Mediterranean does not mean that there could be one state here. It simply would not work. There is no doubt whatsoever we have a problem. We have had a problem since the war in 1967. Israel tried to reconcile the problem back in the early 1990s by recognizing Arafat and telling him, go ahead and you can establish a state in certain areas west of the Jordan River. The, the Palestinian Authority essentially took over the area and it is a failed state. 
Hamas kicked it out of Gaza violently. Hamas, a terrorist group, now controls Gaza. And one of the only reasons that the Palestinian Authority still controls some part of the area in the middle of the country, in the West Bank, is because the Israeli government essentially protects the uh, the uh, the Palestinian government there. If Israel didn't send in its forces to protect that government, it would be overrun by Hamas or some other organization, terrorist organization, and it would take over the West Bank as it has indeed taken over the Gaza Strip, in which case Israel would be bordered not with one terrorist state on its west, but on two terrorist states, one on its west and one right smack in the middle of the country. So we have a real problem, and solutions, talking about a one-state solution, make no sense whatsoever. We have a problem for the foreseeable future, unfortunately, and these are the hard facts of life that I'm afraid we have to continually repeat because people keep up coming up with all kinds of solutions that have no relation whatsoever to reality. And we have to keep that in mind. I'll be back after the break. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Want real answers to the big questions of life? Who am I? Why am I here? How can I find lasting happiness? If God is good, why is the world so bad? Don't miss Soul Talk with Rabbi David Aaron. Revealing, inspiring, empowering. Thursdays on Israel News Talk Radio. You're back with Jay Shapiro. Last Tuesday was Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day, and a time when Israel honors the millions of lives lost during the Holocaust, and we've taken on the sacred sacred responsibility of preserving those memories forever. While the memory of the Holocaust is fading around the world, and is even denied by some, that very memory is inextricably linked to the identity of the state of Israel, which came into existence just a few years after the Holocaust. Today, more than ever, as the number of Holocaust survivors dwindles every year, it's crucial to employ whatever methods are at our disposal to preserve the memory of the Holocaust. This is a very serious responsibility upon the state of Israel. As efforts continue to teach new generations about the Holocaust, there is a, an authority called the Holocaust Survivors Rights Authority, and they noted there are 147,199 Holocaust survivors living in Israel today, roughly 150,000, including 462 who celebrated their 100th birthdays last year. And more than 500 of them are new immigrants who came to Israel during the last several years running away from the war in Ukraine. Now, to combat anti-Semitism as a central to preserving the memory of the Holocaust. Anti-Semitic incidents are on the rise today, and Jews are reporting an increased sense of insecurity in different places around the world. The Anti-Defamation League, an American-based organization, 
recorded a sharp increase in the number of anti-Semitic incidents just in the United States, also in other countries in the year 2022, with 30, more than 3,600 incidents of anti-Semitism recorded in the United States, the uh, compared to about 2,700 in the year before, so there was an increase of 37% of anti-Semitic incidents in the United States in one year. It's also recorded there were in increases in Belgium, Hungary, Australia, and uh, Italy, just to name a few. There, uh, the Anti-Defamation League produces an annual report, and they issued a report last week. It was called the 22nd Annual Anti-Semitism Worldwide Report, and they do it to, together with the Center for the Study of Contemporary European Jewry in Tel Aviv University, and they visibly identified, noted that visibly identifiable Jews, particularly ultra-Orthodox, who wear particular clothing, are the main victims of anti-Semitic assaults in the West uh, because they, they're spotted that they're Jewish by the, by the clothing that they wear. They're being beaten, they're being spat upon, have things thrown at them, according to this report. So, as the number of anti-Semitic incidents increases, and the number the number of Holocaust survivors decreases, soon enough we will not we will not be pa passing survivors in the street like we used to used to be. I remember years ago. Uh, back in 1946, I think it was, I went, I was invited to New York, and I uh, spent Friday night at someone's home, and I, uh, a woman was sitting across the table from me on the Shabbat table, and it was the first time I had ever seen a person with a number tattooed on their arm. I was a kid then, I was about 13 years old, and it actually came as a shock to me. Even as a child, I understood that tattooing a number on someone's arm and turning them away from being a personality into just being a number was a terrible thing. I've thought about that incident over the years. I don't even remember what the woman looked like. I just remembered her arm. So the uh, the number of uh, survivors is decreasing, and uh, we'll, we will have only the memories that have been imparted to us and the lessons they teach future generations. Now, what's happened is, interestingly enough, that in recent years, several individuals and groups have developed unique means of ensuring that we do not uh, forget those who have been lost, the six million people who have been lost. For example, there are several projects, one of which is called Chazdei Naomi. It's an association that gives aid to Holocaust survivors, and they organized a, a what they call a hackathon that brought intelligence officer cadets here in Israel and members of Knesset together to develop special technologies that could help preserve the Holocaust memory. The, um, the goal, according to the organization, was to develop an educational initiative that would speak to the younger generation in its language. Uh, incidentally, another initiative, rather interesting, the Israeli police has in recent years begun adopting Holocaust survivors. Members of Jerusalem border police units sit down with survivors at least twice a month throughout the year, pushing toward uh, ongoing communication and building connections. And by the way, many of the, uh, of the border police are not Jewish. 
Many of them belong to other minority groups here in Israel. So the uh, also the diplomatic corps uh, here in Israel has joined in the effort. The German embassy in Tel Aviv, for instance, has launched a new photography exhibition titled Humans of the Holocaust, which takes a, uh, an artistic approach to Holocaust remembrance. It tells the extraordinary stories of about 40 Holocaust survivors, as well as the second and third generations, engaging viewers with the human stories behind every photo and helping them to imagine the millions of untold stories. So Yom HaShoah is very important, not only to, for us to remember, but to ensure that future generations also remember. Now, the uh, what happens on the Holocaust days, at 11 o'clock in the morning, the entire country pauses for about two minutes, a siren is sounded, and uh, it's really so remarkable to see. It could be the busiest streets in the busiest uh, part, parts of Tel Aviv and Haifa and Jerusalem, and uh, when the uh, Siren goes off, people stop, get out of their cars, and stand in silence. Uh, the, uh, we have to try to understand the deep-rooted anti-Semitism that led up to the Holocaust. The, Holocaust. the fact that a, uh, in Europe, uh, Germany, and other nations were geared up to kill Jews is something that it staggers the mind. So, as the experts say that racism alone does not lead to the systematic genocide of an entire population. How can one explain what prompted the world to turn a blind eye to the Holocaust, which included uh, the terrible conditions Jews were taken from their homes, uh, brutality against Jews, mass executions, gassings, and they even had killing centers, particularly in Poland. So the world could not have been this blinded and naive to what the Nazis were doing. So how is it that Jews were so dehumanized in the eyes of Europeans that they did nothing while the Nazis shipped off their Jewish neighbors to concentration camps? Even more so, how could an average German citizen who had known Jewish people personally, had been friendly with them, turn them in, into the authorities? So, a woman uh, named Zima Kachamilova, uh, who is a social media activist, has come up with what she thinks is an answer, and I want to share that, share it with the listeners. The answer, according to her, is a simple one, propaganda. The Holocaust did not happen overnight. It started with words printed and broadcast in the mainstream media. The United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington defines propaganda as dissemination of information to influence or control large groups of people. Anti-Semitism was at the foundation and the primary motivation of the Holocaust, but Nazi propaganda was the key to brainwashing an entire society against Jews. In the years leading to the World War II, the Nazis took control of most mainstream media in Germany, and they took over the media in other countries. And they spent years spreading false and misleading information about Jewish people to dehumanize them and to foster anti-Semitism. This is a tactic, unfortunately, that we see today too often, even today, in the mainstream media. The Nazi propaganda campaign against Jews was highly effective because it tapped into pre-existing prejudices. The idea that Jews have power and control was a prevalent idea 
in the anti-Semitic campaign. There was a list of popular Nazi outlets that contributed to the dehumanization of Jewish people. For example, there was a newspaper called the Volkischer Beobachter, which means the People's Observer, and that was the official Nazi newspaper. It characterized as a daily anti-Semitic gossip sheet circulated to about 8,000 people. In 1921, Hitler took the paper under his complete control and its distribution increased from 8,000 people to over 1 million people. Another major anti-Semitic out was the Sturmer, was one of the worst and most dangerous in the propaganda campaign. It was a tabloid newspaper read by mostly young and impressionable Germans, though it wasn't considered an an official publication of the Nazi party, it regularly published blood libels and anti-Semitic caricatures of Jews. There also, and this paper, the Angriff, another paper, was a paper founded by Hitler's chief propagandist, Joseph Goebbels, and uh, published this newspaper. It was basically all about anti-Semitism. By the 1930s, all mainstream media and German culture came under the Hitler's propaganda ministry's full control, which included films, theater, music, press, and radio broadcast. The Nazis took drastic actions to censor anyone who opposed them. They closed down or took over newspapers that fought back against Nazi ideology. They controlled what news appeared in the newspapers and what appeared on the, uh, what is on the radio. Also, infamously, the Nazis burned any books they considered un-German. Now, today, the problem is that we continue to see examples of the same human, dehumanization of Jews in today's mainstream media especially in the terrible way news outlets report on the murder of Israelis. By spewing heavy bias and whitewashing the murder of innocent Israelis, news outlets like the New York Times in America, the Guardian in London, and the BBC are complicit in normalizing the death of Jewish people. What should also alarm us is the anti-Semitism in social media. It's uh, all kind of blood libels and Holocaust denial. Online hatred and calls to violence, particularly pervasive in Arabic social media, have led to the murder of Israelis and Jews in the diaspora. Today, there is very little control of media. Media is all over the place. So it's frightening to think about the media's power in normalizing the Holocaust. Today, Jew Jew hate continues to rise worldwide with politicians like even in the American Congress perpetuating anti-Semitic tropes and celebrities who are anti-Semitic openly. So now, or last Tuesday, was Yom HaShoah, the Holocaust Remembrance Day, and it's a time for us to remember the media and never forget the media's role in normalizing these murders. So we cannot say silent when we see the same hatred, whether directed at the Jewish population anywhere or at the Jewish state. So there is a tremendous rise in anti-Semitism over the last few years as the memory of the Holocaust and the Second World War phase, World War phase and a, Jew, a new generation has arisen
uh, I see surveys taken among uh, American youth today. I'm not just talking about remembrance of the Holocaust. If the surveys taken among the general American youth today, is, uh, we can come to the conclusion they have very little memory or knowledge of what happened during the last hundred years. It's absolutely mind-boggling how little American kids seem to know about their own history. It's absolutely shocking. I've seen these surveys with questions among kids who answer very basic questions. And I'm not talking about the Holocaust. I'm talking about American history and history in general how the education in the United States is failing to give the youth, the new generation, a knowledge of the past. So what happens is, the uh, you know, if there, there, there is a famous statement that if you don't know history, you're going to, you're going to repeat it. And that, I'm afraid, is what is happening now. And I'm not talking about uh, countries outside the United States, I'm talking particularly about the United States, where the youth is growing up in ignorance of their own history. And if, when you grow up in ignorance of your own history, there's a strong tendency to repeat it. So it, it is a responsibility of the state of Israel in particular to remind the world of the history and what has been done to the Jews over the last century, at least. I mean, there's been, there's been a lot of anti-Semitism in the past. We, we know that. But the Holocaust was the ultimate in anti-Semitism, where the world stood aside while millions of Jews, innocent people, were murdered. And it's our responsibility to see that this is not forgotten, because it's not only for the Jewish people, but for the world itself. If you don't know your past, you're going to repeat it. There have been some terrible things that happened in the most recent past. We have to be knowledgeable of it and see to it that the youth is educated so these things do not happen again. I'll be back after the break. Warning. Take cover. The Jewish Truth Bomb is here. The show that will explode all the false narratives and fake news. Join host Lenny Goldberg each week as he wires the news together and detonates it through biblical verses that will deliver a shockwave that will blow you away. Don't miss it. The Jewish Truth Bomb. Every Monday. You're back again with Jay Shapiro, and on this final section of the program this week, I want to discuss several items not related to each other, but I think should be of interest to the listeners. First of all, uh, Israel is almost the happiest country in the world. Uh, Why do I say this? The philosopher Immanuel Kant once said that happiness is not an ideal of reason, but of imagination. Perhaps this explains the fact that Israel, despite all the threats, social gaps, and pressures from within and from without, Israel scores particularly high in the United Nations World Happiness Report every year. I don't know exactly how they uh, do this World Happiness Report. The very title sounds kind of strange. But uh, at any rate, last year, Israel was ranked ninth in the World Happiness Report. And this year, the 2023 report just published Israel jumped to a very respectable fourth place. That fourth place is out of 137 countries analyzed. Now, this is especially surprising in view of the fact the growing social protest, 
the dissatisfaction of many in the country with the current conditions. And so uh, we're apparently happy despite everything that's uh, happening now. So the, uh, the ranking, which is flattering, it is, should be noted that the report's data are drawn from an average of responses collected in each country included between 2020 and 22. So in order to compare how happy we are right now compared to other countries, you have to wait till next year, next March. Nevertheless, the last three years have been quite a few lows for Israel that could well have affected the happiness levels of its citizens. There were the terrible detrimental effects of the COVID pandemic. There was a, a, um, an action taken against the Palestinians called the Operation Guarding the Walls. There's been a rise of anti-Semitism in the Western world. There is concern for Ukrainian Jewry. There is endless rounds of elections here in Israel. We had five elections in two and a half years. And the cost of living is pretty high, just to name a few. However, you can ask yourself, how does Israel continue to rank so highly every year in the World Happiness Report? Now, you have to, another, another a way to find the answer to this question, I think, you have to dive a little into the details of the report itself which um, what, what it really does, this report, it presents an average of the subjective feelings of happiness held by about a thousand citizens in each country uh, where the uh, poll is taken over the past three years. A thousand people in each country, and they do this to uh, almost 137 countries. Most of the data comes from the polling company Gallup's Life Evaluation Annual Global Survey. I don't know how they come up with these fancy-sounding names, but they have this thing, the Life Evaluation Global Survey. Now, they, um, the data collected includes the levels of satisfaction of those surveyed on a scale of 1 to 10, towards the following areas. They ask people, how do you feel about social support, income, health, freedom, generosity, uh, the absence of corruption? And the report, which also takes into account objective data, like the country's GDP and its average life expectancy, they ask questions like, if you were in trouble, do you have relatives or friends you can count on to help you whenever you need them or whenever you need them or not? They ask questions like, are you satisfied or dissatisfied with your freedom to choose what you do with your life? Have you donated money to a charity in the past month? And they even asked a question like, you do laugh during uh, doing a lot of the day yesterday? That's a great question. So at the, if we look at the years 2020, 2021, and 2022, it is now possible to understand why Israel is ranked so high. Because the pandemic, which took a toll on all of, of, of us, also united the Israeli people and beyond the national resilience that was manifested in the world-class vaccination drive, we discovered our strength and social cohesion. As for 2020 and 2021, there were record years for the Israeli economy. With 2021 having been the most successful year as more and more unicorns were announced and dizzying business success stories appeared every day in the daily newspapers here. Also, 
There was the signing of the Abraham Accords during this time, which heralded a new era in the Middle East and hope for the future to come. In fact, 2020 to 2022 was the golden era for Israel, if you really think about it, despite all the difficulties and all the challenges and all the concerns for the future. And while Israel faces much more significant challenges than other countries do, if you compare us, for example, to Finland and Denmark or Iceland, uh, by the way, Finland, Denmark, and Iceland were the first, second, and third happiest countries in the world, according to this report. Uh, it turns out that Israelis have a greater sense of appreciation of what we do and, and, and what we have going for us as a result. We're happier than the 133 countries that ranked after us. Compare us, for example, uh, like Finland, Denmark, or Iceland. Who are their enemies? Do they have any enemies? Uh, Iceland's up in the middle of the uh, North Atlantic somewhere, nobody around them. Um, and then Finland and Denmark also, I don't know anybody's trying to take them over. At the same time, Israel's exceptionally high ranking should also sound an alarm because you have to worry about what's to come. As this first quarter of 2023 comes to an end now, our precious country appears to be imploding. There are hundreds of thousands protesting every week about the changes that the uh, government is trying to make, particularly in the courts. Uh, there, are, there, there have been success, I think, two or three months already of... Um, uh, protest, and I live not far away, about a mile or less than a mile away from the home of the uh, president of Israel, and there were, uh, every Saturday night there have been uh, protests, and even when there are not protests, the, pre the, pre the uh, police have prepared uh, all kinds of uh, barriers. Uh, they're standing on the sidewalk uh, just in case protests should uh, happen so they don't have to go bring trucks bringing new barriers to keep the crowd under control. They, all these uh, barriers are all sitting on the sidewalk waiting for the crowds to come to be kept under control. It's a very interesting thing. <coughs> when I leave the house, every time I leave the house, I walk past a, a whole structure of barriers that have been piled up uh, by the police to get ready in case they're needed. So they don't have to bring them by truck when the time comes. And so um, it's interesting. Uh, the, uh, there are conversations on social networks, on television studios, Shabbat dinners, and on streets. There's uh, you, you think with all the things that are happening, we, we should be having an all-time low. The... Uh, some people even say maybe civil war is going to break out. But it doesn't seem to bother the average man in the street. Because having achieved so much in the first 75 years of our existence, it's led us to become one of the top five happiest countries in the world. Maybe, maybe we're missing something. We must now demand answers from our leadership as to what the future holds. How will they preserve our happiness in the years to come? Uh, so I said uh, at the beginning of this uh, part of the program, I, I quoted the philosopher Immanuel Kant, who said, happiness is not an ideal of reason, but one of imagination. But to continue this line of thought, it could well be that even imagination has its limits. So let's see what will be. So far, we're among the happiest countries in the world. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. I think it may, when you read a report that says we're among the happiest countries in the world, the very fact that the report says this makes us happier. It's nice to know that we're happy. It makes us even happier to know that we're happy. Having said that, 
I want to go on to a totally different com, uh, uh, subject. In the past few months, 18 innocent victims of terror were killed. The uh, very tragic. And the truth of the matter is, it is very important that we must not become accustomed to this kind of bloodshed. Children have been orphaned, parents have buried their children, and countless families' lives have been ruined as a result of this terrorism. This is absolutely not normal. It's not normal for people to be murdered just because they're Jewish. It's not normal for teenagers to be sitting in their cars in a traffic jam on the way to a study group and be murdered in cold blood at point-blank range. That's what's happened over the last several months. It is not normal for seven Jewish men and women to be shot and murdered as they emerge from a synagogue after their Sabbath prayers. It's not normal for a man going about his work to be shot by a 13-year-old terrorist, or for two young brothers aged six and eight who have experienced only a few short years of life to be rammed to death while waiting for a bus. These things have happened over the last several months, which is absolutely not normal and is absolutely not acceptable. It is even more abnormal and abhorrent for the families, friends, and communities of the terrorists to celebrate the murderers as heroes, dance and sing while handing out sweet treats in the streets, and to rejoice in the deaths of innocent men, women, and children who have done nothing other than to be born Jewish. That is simply not normal. What is even more despicable is the pay-to-slave policy overseen by the Palestinian Authority that incentivizes the Arab population in their jurisdiction to maim and murder Jews for large sums of money. The more people murdered, the more money they receive for themselves and their families. This is a fact, and it's a terrible, terrible reality. Unsurprisingly, no condemnation was issued from the Palestinian Authority as a result of these most recent attacks. Instead, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas terrorist groups Praise the attackers. Now, the truth of the matter is that Israeli citizens have put up with this terror for much too long. Many have turned a blind eye to the cruel and shocking celebration of the terrorists in response to these disgraceful acts of butchery. It's time for Israel to declare that this will no longer be acceptable. This situation is not how we wish to live our lives. The policies of the past have failed us. The government's policy of containment is not effective. We need to implement real change. What we really need is a zero-tolerance policy on terror. The overall strategy should be the elimination of terror within our midst. We therefore need decisive and extensive operations to prevent and eliminate threats and to increase the deterrence of future acts of aggression. We need to be tougher on terror. We have to be firm. We have to be resolute and take action against those who commit or who plan terror. Our army 
the Israeli Defense Force should have controlled but clear policies and acts of self-defense. We should ensure current policies are fully implemented, such as destruction of terrorist homes. Additional policies should be included and implemented, such as the complete lockdown of towns that harbor terrorists and the revocation of any benefits to those who wish to maim and terrorize innocent people. Another means, and I think this is really the most important, another means of deterrence is a review of the education policy within the Palestinian Authority schools, and particularly in Eastern Jerusalem. What is being taught? Many schools and even kindergartens promote acts of terror. Kindergartners act out plays where Arabs murder Jews and their textbooks, textbooks praise and hail as heroes and martyrs those who commit acts of murder. This is the basis of what's happening. Kids from the age of four and up are taught in school that killing Jews is an honorable thing. He really, really, Israel really has to take control of the educational system in the Palestinian Authority. As a matter of fact, for example, if you look at the maps in the schools of the Palestinian Authority, Israel's erased from the maps, and children are instead taught that they need to reconquer Palestine. This is absolutely unacceptable, and we have to put an end to this educational violence. And what it really is, is abuse of children. They're really abusing their own children by teaching them that violence is good. It is Israel's duty and responsibility to ourselves, and actually to the Arabs themselves, to clamp down on terror at all costs, including education to terror, so that no more innocent lives are needlessly taken. Instead of all kind of mean, meaningless summits and limiting the development of Jew, Jewish communities, we must do the opposite. We have to talk less and act more while working to build and strengthen our people in our homeland. Obviously, my heartfelt condolences go out to the innocent victims who were taken from us. They were killed in cold blood, and their families and loved ones suffer. All of us feel their pain, and we want an end of their suffering, but we got to do something particularly about the education under the Palestinian Authority. If kids are taught from the age of four that killing of Jews is to be celebrated, there will never be an end to the violence. We have to take control of their education. And that is really important. Not enough is being done about it. So until next time, then I hate to end on a uh, negative note, but these, this is the reality here. Until uh, next time, Jay Shapiro signing off. Uh, and as I said, uh, next week is going to be Israeli Independence Day. So uh, I uh, join everybody in celebrating it, and I have what to say about it next week. Until then, take care of yourself. Jay Shapiro signing off. can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone everywhere. If you love what we do, 
partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Norris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 